All right, we are in Mark chapter 6. Uh, Mark has been teaching uh, throughout this book. He's writing, he, he writes sometimes with sandwiches where he'll introduce a subject, and before he finishes the story, he'll insert another story in the middle of that story. And that's what we've got here. Last week we started with Jesus sending out his disciples. Uh, right around verse 32 of chapter 6, his disciples are going to return, or 31, 32, they're going to return. But during that time of sending out disciples and their return, he inserts the story about John the Baptist and his execution. Now, John the Baptist's life has many parallels with the life of Jesus. You know, you've got the supernatural birth of Jesus. You've also got, in a sense, not in a sense, but a supernatural birth. of not, He's not a virgin birth, but they both involve angels, uh, someone being surprised that they're going to have a baby. Uh, Jesus and John, in a sense, met each other while they're in the womb uh, when Mary went to visit her, her aunt. Uh, then the ministry, the beginning of the ministry was similar, and the ministries, you know, both repent, talking to Israel, talking, focused on the Messiah. And then here, in this account, we're going to have the death of John, where he's going to be taken captive innocently. Uh, there's going to be a, uh, a betrayal, uh, someone using him for political advantage, uh, someone not wanting to execute him, like Pilate didn't want to execute Jesus, tried to get him released a couple times. Herod, uh, Antipas that we're talking about tonight, is going to want to get rid of uh, the, the, the accusations or the reason for the execution. In fact, he's trying to protect. See, the word is he was actively protecting John. But Herodotus, Herodotus, uh, this person right here, uh, Herodias, the woman, uh, is going to want him dead because John is threatening with his accusations because there's a divorce involved. He's threatening that Herodias, the woman, uh, should not be where she's at. Now, Antipas was appointed as a, a, a tetrarch, I want to say tetrarch, but it's tetrarch, uh, a ruler of a fourth of a kingdom, Antipas, and so he's fine. But he married Herodias, and that puts her in a position where she was just living a private life, although she's part of the Herod's family tree, she's living a private life, if the public would follow up on this, or if they would listen to John the Baptist, she would be sent away or sent back, and she would have no power. So John is really a threat to, yeah, he's a threat to Antipas because of public opinion, but he's really a threat to Herodias because of uh, the only thing she's got is this marriage. Without this marriage, she's nothing. And so that is similar. Uh, Herod Antipas is going to want to set her free. She's going to want him dead, and she's going to get caught, he's going to get caught in the middle. And so it's similar to Jesus' uh, death. So there's many similarities. Uh, what I've got here on these notes, and I hope it's not boring or ridiculous, uh, I hope it's interesting, and it's going to open up some background of the story. I hope it's not ridiculous information that's just like a lot of historical facts that don't really play into it. But it is amazing how this all fits together and how the story flows if you look on page 2, and I'm going to read this to you, this is Josephus discussing John the Baptist and his interaction with Antipas and his execution. So both the, uh, Josephus records the execution of John the Baptist, but he records it as uh, 
he was a political opponent that was causing political problems for uh, Herod Antipas, and so that's why he's going to get rid of him. Mark tells a similar story, but the reason that the activity there was it was for moral reasons, and Herod didn't want to execute him, but it was in a sense, it's the same side, it's two sides of the same coin. Some scholars get in and they, they start seeing, well, looks like Mark was copying Josephus, but if you understand the, the ramifications of that, Josephus was written between after 70 A.D., and Mark is supposed to have been written in 64 A.D. or before, uh, you know, Josephus. But, you know, you've got to move the dates around. So they just, some skeptics just can't handle the fact that Mark tells a story, and Josephus tells the same story, but one, Josephus is looking at it from the political standpoint that John the Baptist is out here, got a talk show, and is you know, saying things against Herod, and so we've got to cancel this talk show, where Mark is talking about the, the, uh, the religious, the moral, the, 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 the reason that John was against Antipas was not because he was the king, although he wasn't the king, because that's another part of the story, he's a tetrarch, appointed to be a tetrarch over a fourth of the kingdom. He wanted to be king, but Caligula would not let him be, would not name him to be king. Nonetheless, he, uh, Josephus is more interested in the political ramifications, and Mark is looking at the same story, but he's got some insight into it. So I'll read that to you, and you'll see some details of that. Now, to set the stage for this, and this is amazing. I mean, if you've ever looked at, if you understand this, if you understand this, I am impressed. <coughs> um, if you don't understand it when I'm done, I understand why. <laughs> because this is a family tree. Herod the Great is the key figure right here. He's going to end up having ten wives. On this chart, I've got one, two, three, four, five of them written down. There was five more. They're all going to have children. Uh, and you can imagine if you've got family drama, put a king that is ruling, who's an Idumean, ruling the Jews by decree of Rome. He's an Idumean coming out of Edom, an Edomite who became known as the Idumeans. They were forced into Judaism by the Hasmoneans or the Maccabean revolt. The rulers that came out of that forced the Idumeans to accept, forced them into circumcision and brought them in. So Herod is going to come from the Edomites, or Idumea at this time. Rome is going to put him in charge of the kingdom of the Jews. And the Jews are going to be ruled by an Edomite who was placed there by the Romans. Now, if you read the Gospels, you're going to find out there are some that are Herodians. They are support. You're like, we got Republicans, Democrats. They were Herodians. They supported Herod and his family and the Romans who put him in power. But there were also Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, zealots that didn't support this. But So there's a lot of political things going on here. How this all starts is Antipater was Herod the Great's father. Antipater, uh, when Julius Caesar ended up, uh, Julius Caesar is going to have to fight Pompey. Pompey comes down in through Judea, and at first uh, Antipater is going to support Pompey, but he's going to lose to Julius Caesar, and then switches his alliance to Julius Caesar and helps him defeat Pompey, coming out of Egypt. In return, now this is an Idumean. If you want a map real quickly, I don't want to mess up the map here. Uh, here's, here's the Dead Sea. 
Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Egypt, of course, down here. Idumea is right here. Uh, that's where Antip Antipater was coming from. It, Jerusalem would be right there. So Pompey, uh, Julius Caesar is fighting up this way. Pompey is coming out of Judea. And Antipater loses to Julius Caesar and then just sides with him and starts fighting. And in response for helping him, he is given the territory that was taken from Pompey. So he becomes the ruler of Jerusalem and eventually part of Galilee. Now keep this in mind. This is the Edomians right here. Soon coming into our story is going to be the Nabataeans. The Nabataeans were a trading people that would run trade routes from the east coming up to catch this coastal plain to go into Egypt and to go north uh, into you know, Phoenicia, Syria, Babylon. So this was, this was a great traveling uh, group of people. Uh, they're eventually going to build uh, build Petra. So the Nabataeans, they're going to become they're going to become first Jews, but a lot of Christians. There's going to be a Christianized nation. This is the in the uh, peninsula of Arabia. The Nabataeans are going to come in and fill this space in here. Okay, so that's a little background right there. Now Antipater is going to be uh, a poisoned, and Herod the Great and his brother. Now, if you look in the chart, now I'm going to write everything on the board. Uh, Herod the Great is going to be, when his father was alive, Herod was given Galilee to rule for his father. Uh, Phaziel was given, was ruling Jerusalem for his father. His father is poisoned in 43 BC, similar to Alexander the Great's father being assassinated at a family wedding. So Herod the Great and Phaziel, they have to, they have to go uh, fight, fight in the east, and Fossil is, is captured and ends up being killed. And that leaves Herod the Great, who in 43 BC is appointed king of the Jews by Caesar Augustus. If you turn to page 4, and this was a map we looked at last week, I've got a few more details on it. Uh, this was Herod's territory. He ruled from Idumea. From the bottom going up, Idumea, Judea, Samaria. He ruled Galilee because that's where he originated. That was his original position under his father. I could tell you stories about that. How he it was a land full of crime, a lot of trade routes running through the land full of crime. Herod brought peace. Now Herod's a great, a great character in history. I don't want to say a great man because that has a moral implication, but if you could say he was a a, a great, uh, you know, uh, uh, impressive ruler. He, he was a, a mighty man, not necessarily a moral man. In fact, not a moral man, but he could get the job done. Uh, and, and Rome loved him. He also ruled then Euthria. That was, that was Herod's territory. Herod, of course, dies around 4 B.C. And uh, he's going to have these sons. Uh, you can see on there, you've got on the... On the Let's go through the wives very quickly. I'm just, I've got five wives listed there. Doris, uh, and that's, she's going to have a son named Antipater, named after his father. We don't need to mention them, her again. He's going to marry Mary Ann the first, uh, and she was a Hasmonean princess. She was the granddaughter of the high priest Hyrcanus, which was a famous leader of the Maccabean time period, and kind of part of the the civil war that was taking place that Rome had, the reason Rome ends up in Judea is the Sadducees, or the priests, and the Pharisees began fighting against each other for political power. 
cruel. I mean, they even would t take turns crucifying each other. Civil war was breaking out, and Pompey actually had to come in and conquer, break into Jerusalem to stop the civil war and bring about Roman peace and annex Judea into Roman territory, saving the Jews from themselves around 48 B.C. And so that, and that's when then Pompey fights Julius Caesar, and that's when Antipater comes in and says, and he begins to rule with an iron fist along with his sons. Uh, but nonetheless, one of the daughters, uh, they, were, they were from the priestly family, the Hasmoneans, you know, the Maccabean revolt, they became known as the, the Hasmonean family. Uh, she was one of the, the great-great-granddaughters of that original group of, from Mattathias and his, and his sons. Uh, she was the daughter, granddaughter of Hyrcanus, the Hasmonean. So she was a princess. By, by Herod the Great marrying Mary Ann, he married into the Jewish royalty at that time. Now don't be confused. It's not the line of David. It's actually a priestly family that defeated the solutions and just took over the leadership. And they became, in a sense, the kings, the rulers. So they had the priesthood and they had the kingship during that time period before the time of Christ, the Hasmoneans. So she, at that time, when Herod marries her, he's not marrying into the family of David, but he's marrying into the ruling class, what they considered a princess of the Hasmoneans, Mary Ann. That becomes a very treacherous path because the world or the Jews love Mary Ann and her family because they're their people. Herod they never trusted. So Herod is always, what Herod does to the Bethlehem boys is not surprising. It's like it's typical because he was suspicious of everybody because he's in a sense in the wrong country, empowered by the wrong people, ruling the wrong nation. But he's very good at it, but he's very protective and very aware. His favorite wife, history would record, is Mary Ann, uh, Mary Ann I, uh, but because she was a royal princess of the Jews, he was suspicious of her, and he ends up executing her in 29 B.C. He wished he hadn't done it after it was done, but you know how you know all the, the intrigue that goes along with hiding documents by your Corvette and raiding Mar-a-Lago, and then you've got you know the Twitter and all this conspiracy. You don't know whose side you're on, and so if you've got the power, you just start killing people. Then all of a sudden, Elon Musk buys Twitter, and you realize, I didn't need to kill my wife. That wasn't her email. That was someone, and it's like her text or post or whatever. So he ends up, but anyway, she has a son, two of them, Alexander and Aristobulus. So they would be princes, prince, prince in the plural, two prince. Uh, and notice what it says about them in 7 BC. Uh, he loved them, but both of them, he became suspicious of it. They were trying to overthrow him. So he executes them in 7 BC. So he executes his princess wife and his two royal sons uh, because he was suspicious. Now, and then in 4 BC, he executes a bunch of babies in Bethlehem, or a handful of babies in Bethlehem, depending on how many people were living there. It's like, my gosh, how cruel is that? The guy already executed his wife and his two favorite sons because he was suspicious. And then you go and say, I think there's a baby born in Bethlehem that we're all going to think is the king. It's like, oh, well, I want to go worship him. I mean, you should have saw that coming. He killed his wife and his sons. He's going down there and kill all the babies. So, I mean, it's, the story, well, that's a weird story. It's not recorded anywhere in history. Well, it really wasn't a big deal. A bunch of babies got aborted in Bethlehem 
after all the, you know, they weren't aborted, but I mean, it, it was like, it's a non-story in Judea at that time. The very fact it's even in the Bible is only there because it's connected to, they're pursuing the Christ who's the king, which is exactly why Maryam and Alexander and Aristobulus got killed. Aristobulus is going to have, you know, uh, three children. Herod III died in 48 AD. We don't talk about him tonight. He has a son or a daughter named Herodias. Uh, that is going to be this Herodias, who's going to end up in our story tonight demanding the head of John the Baptist. And her brother, Herod Agrippa I. Now, Herod Agrippa I is the one you see in the book of Acts killing uh, uh, Andrew and then speaking in Caesarea by the sea, dressed in a big silver costume. Uh, he ruled for three or four years. And then Josephus records he, he, he fell down, passed out, and was taken away, and he died seven days or nine days later. The Bible records that he was there and giving a speech to the people of Syria who were there because they needed food, and he provided, bought some food and provided for food. And they were shouting, he, it's the voice of a God, it's the voice of God. And the Bible records that he didn't give glory to God, although he is a very devout follower of Judaism because he wants the Jews to like him, and he is. Uh, Aristobulus' son, which makes him part Hasmonean, although he's related to Herod the Great. Agrippa I was as close to somebody they're going to get to being their royalty and the Hasmonean family. Well, then the Bible says he dropped down and was eaten by worms, which aligns with... The Bible makes it appear that he dies right on the spot. I mean, it doesn't skip through the details. Josephus records he was taken back and died seven or nine days later. That's, that's Agrippa I. He then is followed by his son, Agrippa II, who in that same area where the, the, the track was or the Colosseum uh, is the, the palace of Herod the Great, which is now occupied by Agrippa and Agrippa II, uh, again, at least while Paul's in prison. So Paul is going to speak with Agrippa II's son. That's where you see him saying, listening to him and saying, and Paul says, I wish you were like me except for these chains. And he says, you expect me to become a Christian on, you know, on such a short notice or such a quick presentation? Or whatever. That was Herod Agrippa's son. So that's going to continue. So all these people, I mean, it just keeps flowing through the Bible. Okay, so Aristobulus is executed. He's got two children that we're interested in Agrippa I. In, in my Jerusalem book, I've got like, he's the one who builds that, the Damascus Gate under the modern, or the modern, the 1500 AD Damascus Gate, the one I'm walking on the book. That was Herod Agrippa's gate down there. And, and so there's more things in the Jerusalem book about Herod Agrippa and his building. He ruled like from 41 to 44 B.C., and that's when he would have executed uh, Andrew. Okay, so that's this sign. Don't forget Herodias. Now, Philip, the next wife, is Maryam II. She's going to have a son. We're going to call him Philip I. He's mentioned in Mark 6, 17, coming up tonight. He's going to actually marry Philip. Aristobulus' step. Now, notice, all these guys are going to be marrying all kinds of women that are like their, their nieces and their grandnieces and their husbands' wives and each other's daughters, all this, however that works. So anyway, Philip is going to marry his brother, half-brother, Aristobulus' daughter, Herodias. And they're going to live as private citizens in Rome. So they're living in Rome. Herodias, Herodias living with Philip I in Rome. All right? Now... Archelaus is the one who Herod 
ends up giving his kingdom to in his will. It was originally given to Aristobulus, and that's why he became suspicious. Everything was going to go to Aristobulus, Maryam's son, but towards the end of his life, he got 7 BC, he got suspicious and thought maybe Aristobulus was trying to kind of step up the game and move into power quicker than Herod wanted to. Because Herod doesn't know when he's going to die. I mean, I don't want you overthrowing me and becoming king. So it's like, I'll just kill you. So he killed him, and he gave the kingdom, moved Archelaus in his will as the heir of the kingdom. Which would scare, if you're Archelaus, it should scare you. Dad just made you the next king. It's like, Dad, I'm just going to stand here. I'm going to make no contacts, no phone calls, no text messages, no posts. I'm just waiting. It's like, I'm not going to kill you, Dad. Well, Archelaus must have done that. He didn't get executed. But he was very, very cruel. And when Rome found out about it, uh, well, there was, well, Joseph flees after Jesus is born. He goes to Egypt, and when he comes back, Herod had died. And Archelaus is the king in Herod's place. He was such a wicked king, poor king, the people sent a the Jews send the delegations, please fix this. This guy is a madman. And so they Rome moved in and brought him to Rome, and you can see he dies, uh, what's it say? Archelaus dies in 6 AD. He ruled Judea, Samaria, Idumea. Joseph feared him went to Nazareth instead of stopping back in Bethlehem. He goes back up there. He was removed by Rome because the Jews sent a delegation to uh, Caesar Augustus says, get rid of this guy. And so Archelaus is removed, leaving Herod's kingdom without rulership. Which, real quickly, if you don't mind, go to page 4, and now we looked at this before. At this point, after Archelaus's failure in Rome's removal of Archelaus, Rome has to do something with Herod's with the territory that gave Antipater that was expanded by Herod the Great. And again, Herod the Great did a fantastic job of ruling that map right there that you see. He ruled that successfully. Now, not, not morally, not ethically, not without a lot of slaughter. And he ruled with an iron fist and manipulation and with Rome's, Roman support. Well, upon Archelaus' failure to be able to match his father's leadership, Rome removes him and divides it into four parts. And that's where you get the word te. Tetrarch. Tetrarch. I've always wanted to say tetrarch, but it's tetrarch. That means you're a ruler of one-fourth of a kingdom. A tetrarch is a ruler of a fourth of a kingdom. Now, for our story tonight, what we'll start with, interestingly, is Galilee... In the north, you know, up where it's, I've got Tiberius. There's a little box pointing to it. And Perea, which is on the east side of the Jordan River, uh, that is ruled by Herod Antipas, a tetrarch. Herod Antipas, right here, is a tetrarch of Galilee and Perea. And you can see those two territories. That was given to him by Rome when Archelaus was removed. His brother, Philip II. See, this is, this is why you're going to say, like, what? And you read the Bible, and I'm not, I'm not being insulting. I'm not trying to belittle people. Uh, in fact, I, I, I have to map this out. I have to make notes to get through this because there's already a Philip living in Rome married to Herodias. But... There's also Philip. This is Herod Philip. They're all called Herod. That's the other point. They, at any point, Josephus or the Bible will call any of these people Herod. And then Herod marries 
Herodias. It's like Herod married Herodias? What? It's like, yeah, because it was previously Herod's wife. And it's like, you can understand how a historian could just stumble through this and how I appreciate your attention and I hope I'm not getting you confused. But anyway, Antipas is ruling here. His, and these guys are all brothers. His stepbrother, Philip II, is going to rule uh, just north of Decapolis, Euthria. Now that is, and he's, you've heard of the city, I've talked about it, Caesarea Philippi. He's going to build a city and name it after Caesar, but stick his name on it, Caesarea Philippi. It's named not for this Philip who's living in Rome, who's going to lose his wife, to Antipas, who's living in Galilee. He is Philip II, who's building a city called Caesarea at the base of Mount Hermon, and is going to name it Caesarea Philippi to distinguish it from another Caesarea by the sea. Everybody's named, just like Alexander named everything Alexandria. I mean, Alexandria's all across the Middle East. Well, when these guys that are appointed by Caesar want to impress Caesar and build a new city, what are you going to name the city? I mean, I want to keep my job. I'm going to name the city Caesarea. Except we're going to put Caesarea Philippi, so you know which one we're talking about. And so Caesarea Philippi was built and developed by Philip II. And he's living right up there. Now, Decapolis is going to be ruled by a proconsul out of Syria. Just north of Euthria, north of Israel, north of Galilee, is Syria, and there's a, a proconsul that Rome has put in place. They say you can rule Syria, but also Decapolis. Now remember when uh, Jesus went across Galilee and went to the city in Castanema? He's going to Decapolis. Uh, that was Gentile land, ruled by a Gentile leader out of Syria uh, at that point. So that's the third part. You've got Antipas' territory, you've got Philip's, the second part of the territory, and then you've got Decapolis, ruled by someone in Syria, the third part, and then you've got Samaria, Judea, and Idumea, which we just reviewed. You, know, you hear the Bible talk about Samaria and Judea, but that was all ruled by the uh, procurator, what we would say Pilate. In Jesus, in the, you know, Pilate or whoever was there, there would be a government, a, a Roman person set in place ruling that. So just as Antipas was a tetrarch, or tetrarch Philip was a tetrarch, a Syrian legate came down and ruled Decapolis, then you're going to have a proconsul or a Pontius Pilate or whoever would be before him or after him ruling there. And a lot of times their, their headquarters would be Caesarea by the sea. And that's why Pilate would be, then come to Jerusalem for the holidays, but then go back to Caesarea by the sea. That was where all the activity was at. All the Jewish activity would be in Jerusalem. The governmental activity would be in Caesarea by the sea. So those are your four spots. You've got Pontius Pilate. You've got Antipas ruling Galilee and Perea. You've got Philip II ruling Euthria or Caesarea Philippi. And one of the parts is ruled by a Syrian governor. And there you've got it right there. Now on this map, while we're looking at it, um, I'll point out the city of Tiberias. That was a city built by uh, Herod Antipas. It was a city uh, that he built. There was like 17 hot springs. He built a city around those hot springs. It was already a spa. Made it a pagan city. Kind of Romanized it. Eventually Jews are going to begin occupying it. But that was where his capital was. He's also going to build Sephorus, which is just to the, the west of that. And that was Tiberias. He's going to name it after the new Roman emperor Tiberius. 
uh, who helped get him in place in, in the power. Now that is where Jesus, just to the west of that, in Nazareth, when he sends out, or in that area, when he sends out his disciples. Some people think the story that Mark is going to record is saying that the party, the banquet, the birthday they're celebrating is going to take place in Tiberias. And that's fair because it talks about all the leaders from Galilee coming to this party, this birthday party. The problem is, not the problem, but the conflict is, Josephus records the same event, or something similar, and says it takes place in Machaerus. And if you look at Machaerus, uh, that is one of these fortified cities. It's five miles from the Dead Sea. You can see it marked there. And on that map, I've got this. I've got a little dot with a circle around it. And those are all fortresses, or palaces, that Herod built for himself with a fortress around it filled with luxurious apartments. And they were for Herod to quickly escape in case someone came after him. Talk about Herod being paranoid, killing his wife, killing his sons, killing the babies. Look at, the, look at what you've got right there. You've got Machaerus, and that is on the, the east side of the Dead Sea. That is where Josephus says John was executed, or, or where John was kept in prison. You also have Masada, uh, and that is you know, down by the Dead Sea on the, the west side, and that's where we've got a picture of Masada. Here, this is Tiberius right there. Uh, that's, that's right near where uh, Herod Agrippa stood and looked over the Mediterranean Sea while the crowd chanted to him. I'm looking to see if I've got a picture of, I don't have them up here anymore. But anyway, uh, Masada, there might be one around the corner, but nonetheless, that's Masada. I'm wasting your time now. Looking for a picture. Um, it has a great fortress. We had hanging palaces. And then Herodium, which is, you can look at Herodium. You can stand at Herodium and see Bethlehem. Tony's getting a picture of Masada. There's Masada. There's two of the hanging palaces on Masada. You can see the Dead Sea in the background there. And one, two, and then there's a third palace up on the top of that. Here, Tony, bring that up here for the whole camera to see. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on now. There's Masada. All right, uh, and that was one. And again, look at the, look at the palace. This is a a round palace hanging off the cliff. Here's another palace down here, and this is the remains. And there's a third one up here, and they were very luxurious. In fact, I've got a couple pictures there, again in black and white. They're in color online there, and you can see uh, the painted walls of Masada and the pillars. Uh, and again, that's 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 been that's exposed to the weather all year round, uh, and it's been there for two thousand years. Okay, that Masada. When David talks about going to the rock, you are my rock. I hide in the rock. David hid at Masada. It was called, in fact, Masada means the rock. And David, when he talks in Psalms about going to the rock, this would be one of the places he fled to. In fact, in Gedi is very close to. It. Anyway, Herodium is I was going to talk about just south of Jerusalem, a couple miles. That was a man-made, you can see a picture of that at the bottom of the page. That was a man-made mountain. Herod made that mountain. He brought in dirt from all around and built, imagine, to build all this stuff up Masada, the, the building materials would be an incredible feat. Uh, there's much more we can say about that. Uh, the same thing, Herodium, he built that up, made it a magnificent fortress. Uh, the sides of it, you can see up on the top left corner, there's a picture of the sides of the mountain. 
He then overlaid the dirt like with stones, like scales of armor going all the way around. And many things we can say about that. But you see, Hyrcania and Cy Cyprus down towards Jericho, Alexandrium, those were all fortresses that he had, you know, go bags. You know, we talk about a go bag, like a spy, have a go bag, get on and go. He would have chariots ready or whatever, horses ready, a battalion ready, bodyguards ready, and bags ready. Well, everything's all furnished already, right? just to get out and he could escape in case there's a, a, an overthrow or a coup coming at him. That was Herod's force. So anyway, Macarius is there. I point that out because that is where John the, this story could take place. I put up there in the box, Tiberius to Macarius would be 110 miles or 177 kilometers. Today it's a drive of 2 hours and 44 minutes according to Google Maps. Uh, and it's a pretty straight route because you go right down the Jordan Rift Valley. Uh, in 29 AD, it'd be a two-day journey. So if you're going to have all the leaders of Galilee go down there, it would take them two days to get there. So that's within reason that they could have gone down there to this luxurious palace, fortress, palace, luxury apartments, and spent several weeks there to get ready and celebrate what would apparently be Antipas's birthday. Okay, I'm going to stop right here. Uh, does anyone have a question? I mean, right here, it's like, uh, this is not fitting together. Just fill this in. Yes? The timeline, how for boyfriend Antipas. Uh, Antipas, Antipas, uh, Antipater, would have been 114 to 44 B.C. And then Herod would have been 443 B.C. to 4 B.C. And then that's when Herod... Archelaus would have been 4 B.C. Uh, up until the time Joseph came back. And I, I don't know, I don't have that date written down here, I don't okay. think. Uh, Archelaus died 6 A.D. Uh, but so, then these guys were put in power at that time. Aristobulus is dead in 7 B.C. Uh, Philip's living in Rome, remember Philip's living in Rome. So that helped at all. The key being, Jesus, okay, Archelaus, okay, I got this written down. Uh, it's in the notes somewhere, but Archelaus, or Antipas, became king, which is an interesting statement here, um, just a comparison, I'm looking through the notes here, which should be on page 5, I think, Jesus' life and Antipas's, maybe it's in my notes right before. There it should be right. Anyway, I'm comparing Jesus' life with Antipas's reign, and the years are basically this. Oh, there it is, point three, on page five, point three, and it is uh, 3B1. Antipas ruled from 4 B.C. to 39 A.D., and Jesus lived from 4 B.C. to 30 A.D. So you can see how similar their time was. Um, let's look at right there while we're there. That's probably where I want to go next. On page 5.3, King Herod is Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. Antipas was raised in Rome. So Antipas is familiar with Rome. All these guys would go, go to Rome and be trained and then come back. So they're educated, uh, cultured individual. Antipas was... Uh, Served as a tetrarch. We talked about that, okay. Point C, Herod Antipas built Tiberius. We mentioned that. Talks about the city. I mentioned that. Antipas built theaters and so forth. Okay, 
Jesus calls Antipas. Here's a little, Jesus refers to Antipas in Luke 13. And I've got that written down. Uh, they say to him, uh, they're asking him, you got to get out of here because, uh, uh, well, here. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to Jesus, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And to see, Herod wants to kill you. Well, I thought Herod already tried to kill him when he was a baby. That's Herod the Great. His son now, who's been ruling for some 30 years, uh, 25 years or so, uh, wants to kill Jesus because he's threatening his kingdom. And, and, and he said to them, this is Jesus when it says, Antipas is, gonna, is, want, is looking to kill you. Go and tell that fox. Now, what does he mean by fox? He's sneaky, he's a predator, uh, whatever. I mean, it's like, you got you to kind of, what is he referring to? Go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. He's giving you his itinerary. Go tell that fox, he's trying to catch me. I'm performing, I'm casting out demons, performing cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I will finish my course. I'm going to be here for three days, and then I'm moving on, so you don't need to worry about me. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish <coughs> away from Jerusalem. Go tell that fox he's not going to catch me, because I'm not going to be caught until I get to Jerusalem. I'm going to be, I'll tell you exactly where I'm going to be. I'm going to be here for day one, day two, and on day three, I'm going to leave. I'm going to be here doing this very thing, and you're not going to catch me because a prophet's not going to die except in Jerusalem. So, tell that fox, hunt well, but you're not going to catch me. <clears throat> so Jesus wasn't too impressed. Another time in Luke, I think it's chapter 23, uh, Jesus is before Pilate, and Pilate is asking him questions, and Jesus is dialoguing with Pilate, which is impressive. They're having a conversation, and we got bits of it recorded. Uh, and Pilate's trying to figure out a way of getting Jesus set free. And when he finds out Jesus from Galilee, there in Jerusalem for the festival, for the Passover, Antipas had come down for the festival, down for the Passover. So Antipas was in town, and he's in charge of Galilee. So Pilate thinking, hey, he's in charge of Samaria, Judea, and Idumea, and you're from Galilee? Not even my problem. Take him over to Herod. And so he took him to Herod, Antipas, and Herod was glad to see him because he'd been wanting to see Jesus. He had never met Jesus. He'd heard about him, wanted to kill him. Jesus had heard about him. Now, for the first time, and Antipas is there asking him, talking to him, and Jesus won't even speak. He's just like, one, he's already killed John the Baptist. I'm not sure what, I don't know what Jesus was thinking. But Antipas has been trying to kill Jesus. He's killed John the Baptist because a woman manipulated him and made him feel pressure, uh, and he, he did that. And Jesus is, and finally, he just sends him back to Pilate. So Antipas does get to meet Jesus, but Jesus says nothing. Doesn't share the gospel with him. Doesn't try to convert him or do a miracle to convince him. He, I don't know if he made eye contact. It just, he just. Where Pilate, they're having a conversation. He says, Jesus, I, I don't come from here. I'm not here for your kingdom. My kingdom is from somewhere else. If my kingdom were here, my, my people would fight for it. But we're not going to fight. This is yours. Mine is coming. And, it says, and they said about truth. I came to I came to do, proclaim, what was it, defend or something, proclaim the truth. I came for, for truth. And Pilate said, well, what is truth? You know? And so there's a good conversation. I mean, they got into philosophy. They got into religion. They got into episiology. They talked about a variety of things. Antipas, nothing, which is kind of interesting. All right. We've got to get through some more details here. So I'm going to now go to uh, page 2.
Uh, there's some more details. Oh, boy, there's so many great things to happen here. All right. Josephus, on page two. This is not the Bible. This is Josephus. So I hope you're not disappointed. But this is... Uh, he's going to mention a guy named Ertus. Remember I talked about Idumea, where the Edomites came from, and Herod came from, or where they settled, Edomites settled. The Nabataeans coming in from the east, they came in and run trade routes. They're going to settle in that area, part of Edom, including Petra. And Eretus is going to be the king at this time. Eretus is the king of the Nabataean empire, kingdom, not empire, kingdom, that is just south of it. it Edom includes part of Edom, including Petra, and Eretus is the king. Eretus is wants to have peace and negotiation, and they always send their daughters to marry royal marriages. And Eretus has sent his daughter to marry and has, is married to Herod Antipas uh, early on, you know, during his during his reign. So King. Herod Antipas, he wants to be king, and the emperors won't call him a king. You're a tetrarch. Now, John the Baptist, or Mark, is going to refer to Herod Antipas as king in his writings. He is not king. Now, the question is why, I don't have the answer. Why is Mark referring to him as king? Is because locally they called him king, because his father was king. Agrippa is going to be called king, legitimately, by the Romans. Antipas wants to be king, but they said no. Does he still put himself off as king? Is he known as king, just kind of like a nickname, you know, kind of like you know, leader? Uh, is Mark mocking him? And remember, Mark's writing in Rome, apparently. So is he calling him king by the Romans, maybe kind of justifying the fact that the Romans are going to end up exiling Antipas. Antipas and Herodias is going to Herodias are going to be exiled up. Up uh, in, in north of uh, into uh, I want to say Gaul, not Gaul, uh, Galatia. I'll, I'll show you here in a minute. And uh, lost in history. But nonetheless, so that first thing that comes up is Eretus. About this time, Eretus, the king of the Arabian city Petra, the Nabataeans, and Herod Antipas had a quarrel. Herod the Tetrarch had married the daughter of Eretus, called. Phasalus, and had lived with her a great while. But when he was once in Rome, he lodged with his brother Philip. So Antipas goes to Rome to visit and stays with his brother Philip. They're both their father, both their fathers are Herod the Great, but different moms. You can see the moms on here. Well, Philip the First, living in Rome as a private citizen, is married to his other brother, Aristobulus, who was executed by Herod the Great, his father. His daughter, Herodias. Herodias. So they're married, and Antipas is there just hanging out at the pad. Who was his brother indeed, but not the same mother. This Herod was the son of the high priest Simon's daughter. So there's a couple connections to the Hasmoneans in here. Here he fell in love with Herodias, this other Herod's wife, who was the daughter of Aristobulus, their brother, and the sister of Agrippa the Great. The sister of Agrippa the First, we call him. Agrippa the Great. And he did a lot of building in Jerusalem, built some streets that we can still see today. Antipas ventured to talk to her about marriage between them. 
when she admitted an agreement was made for her to change her habitation, move from Rome to Tiberias or Galilee, uh, to change her habitation, come to him as soon as he could return from Rome. One article of this marriage also was that he should divorce Eretus's daughter, the king of Nabataeans. you got to send her home. So Antipas made this agreement and returned home again, Galilee. But his wife, the daughter of Eretus, the Nabataean princess, had discovered the agreement. I'm not sure if they posted it on Facebook or something. He had, you know, in a relationship. And he had made before he had been able to tell her about it. He didn't get a chance to explain the arrangement. She just found out about it, so she's going to be proactive. She asked him to send her to Macaris, the, the fortress that we talked about. She said, oh, honey, can I go spend the weekend at Macaris? Which is the place in the... Now remember, Josephus is writing in Rome about all these things that had taken place earlier in the century. So all these places, that Jerusalem has been destroyed when he's writing this. So he gives, when he says something, he provides details, which is fortunate for all of us. Which is a place in the borders of the dominions of Eretus and Herod. So it's right there, this, this Macaris is right there on the borders where Herod's territory in Perea edges up against the Nabataeans' territory. So the two kings' territory, or the Tetrarch and the king of the Nabataeans, their territory is right there. So if she can get down to Macaris, she just got, you know, sent a text message and dad will send some troops up to get her. She asked him to send her to Macaris, which is a place in the borders of the dominions of Eretus and Herod, without informing him of her intentions. Of course not. So Herod sent her thither, unaware that his wife had perceived something. Earlier she had sent to Macaris, and all things necessary for her journey were made already prepared for her by a general of Eretus' army. She sent some information down, some things, and a general made contact with the king, her father. Consequently, she soon arrived in Arabia. She no longer got to Macaris, then she's all the way down into Arabia. She's back home. Under the conduct of several generals handing her off to get her home before she gets executed who carried her from one to another successfully. She met her father and told him of Herod's intentions. Herod Antipas. So Eretus made this the first occasion of the enmity between him and Herod. I mean, there's going to be several others. So he now has an enemy of Antipas. Now, so Antipas, the Tetrarch, has now got an official enemy in the king of the Nabataeans, who had also had some quarrels with him about their limits near Gamala. And that's, again, a, a city that we talked about earlier. You can see it on the map and whose territory is where. So both sides raised arms, prepared for war, and sent their generals to fight. When they joined battle, Herod's army was completely destroyed by the treachery of some fugitives, and these would be some other Jews that had come over to fight against him, who, though they were from the Tetrarchy of Philip, had joined Eretus. So Philip the second, some men came from Jews from there, came to fight with the Nabataeans against Antipas. Again, see how this, this goes on and on. Now, uh, okay, army. So Herod wrote about these affairs to the emperor Tiberius, who, who kind of gave him some favor. And see, uh, Herod has built a city, Tiberius, named it after him. So he writes, says, I need help, I need help, Tiberius, who became very angry at the attempt made by Eretus, and wrote to Lysias Vitellus, the governor of Syria. So that's the governor of Syria, who's also controlling that area of Decapolis. So, the, so Antipas writes to Rome to Tiberius, Tiberius writes to the leader of Syria, who's also in charge of the capital, says, get him some help. We've got to defeat this guy, because this is my man. The governor of Syria, to make war upon him, and either to take him alive and bring him to, to in bonds, or to kill him and send him as his head, send me his head to Rome. 
This was the charge that Tiberius gave the governor of Syria to help Antipas. Now, some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God as a just punishment of what Herod had done against John. Now, here we go. Now, this story continues. We, I can continue that story, what takes place, because it's very important uh, in Antipas' life. But Josephus, all of a sudden, during all this drama of the Herods and the Nabataeans and the, the emperor sending the Syrian leader to come down and help Antipas, Antipas' army had been defeated by Herodotus. Josephus says, many of the Jews, one of the reasons they, they fought against him is that, you know, why Philip sent his men is this. Now, some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod, Antipas' army, came from God as a just punishment of what Herod had done against John, who was called the Baptist. Now, this is not a Christian insertion. Now, sometimes you find people, well, that was added by the Christians later. And yes, you can see sometimes stuff like that has happened. Even if you follow the text of Scripture, things are changed. and people add stuff, you have to go back and find the original. Because, yes, things have been changed, misspelled. This is clearly not a Christian, because it doesn't matter. If you're going to copy Mark, you didn't do a very good job. The only thing you copied was John the Baptist and his execution by Antipas. It's not even the same storyline, except it's close enough that, depending on two people talking about the same event, like you talk about, well, pick a political event going on right now, and it depends on which news station you turn into, they talk about the same thing, but from different angles. Sometimes they're lying in our case, but in this case we're going to assume both guys are telling the truth because they're not trying to deceive anybody, I don't think. Now some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God as a just punishment of what Herod had done against John, who was called the Baptist. For Herod had killed this good man. This is Josephus talking about John the Baptist, who had commanded the Jews to exercise virtue, righteousness towards one another, and piety towards God. That was his legacy in Josephus. He had heard of John the Baptist, and that was the legacy he recorded about John the Baptist. Without the Christians, without the, the Bible, without the Scriptures, that is what he remembers about John the Baptist. In Rome, somewhere between 70 and 90 A.D., as he's writing for the Romans on what took place back in the homeland. For only thus, in John's opinion, would the baptism he administered be acceptable to God. Meaning, I'm going to baptize you, but only it's only going to be useful if you are righteous, show virtue towards one another. Otherwise, this baptism is meaningless. Josephus is basically. For only thus, in John's opinion, would the baptism he administered be acceptable to God. Namely, if they used it to obtain not pardon for some sins, but rather the cleansing of their body, inasmuch as they had taken for granted that their souls had already been purified by justice. In other words, if you're just doing this as a ritual, you're just getting wet, if you're not doing it to remove some kind of guilt that you've got. Now, many people came in crowds to him, John the Baptist, for they were greatly moved by his words. This is the testament of John. John the Baptist moved the crowds with his words, says Josephus, not the Gospels. Herod, who feared that the great influence John had over the masses, might put him into his power and enable him to raise a rebellion. In other words, if they keep coming, John could say, take up arms, and they could march on Antipas. He sees That's the same thing they're afraid of Jesus, that Jesus has so much popularity, all he's got to do is say, it's time, and the people will respond. The people were at a fever pitch with John the Baptist already, saying, is it time? And he was telling them, wait for the Messiah. And they're waiting, but they're waiting with swords. You know, John says, he's coming, he's coming. 
they're not thinking Jesus is coming to go to the cross. They're thinking Jesus is going to come and take up arms and finally overthrow these Romans and all these Herods and all this mess here. So, and Herod's feeling that, that pressure uh, and enabled him to raise a rebellion for they seemed ready to do anything he should advise. Thought it best to put him to death. I think it's best just to kill John. And that's, that's what Josephus says. In this way, he might prevent any mischief John might cause and not bring himself into difficulties by sparing a man who might make him repent of it when it would be too late. In other words, John's a good man, but he's got a crowd. If he just flips the button, that crowd is going to come against me, and now I've lost my chance to kill John because now he's got an army. And I will blame myself for not killing him when I had a chance. So I'm going to kill him. Who's he thinking like? His dad. It's like, my wife could be planning a coup. If she pulls off a coup, they're all going to follow her, and I'll never be able to... I'll kill her now. Aristobulus, you're my heir. Wait. You could be planning a coup. If I wait for you to pull the, pull the, the, the army together, it'll be too late. I'll kill you now. Antipas... John's popular, he's a righteous man, but he's got the crowd. If he decides to come against me, I wish I would have killed him like my dad killed all these other people. That's Josephus' writing. Accordingly, John was sent as a prisoner out of Herod's suspicious temper to Machaerus. That's that, what he says, the castle I already mentioned, and was put to death. So he was put to death at the castle, the palace fortress with the luxurious apartments. Now the Jews thought that the destruction of his army was sent as punishment upon Herod and a mark of God's displeasure with him. And that is Josephus talking about Antipas and this battle right here. Now, with that being said, we are already at 54. Um, we've got to read the scriptures. I haven't even read scripture yet. I know it's like blasphemy. Um, uh, let's go to... Just so you, we have to come back next week and do this. This actual. Well, this, I've got six minutes. Okay, okay, okay. Let's read the scriptures. Here we go. All right. In the NIV, let's read the NIV. NIV. Here we go. Okay, I'm just looking at the clock, trying to be socially responsible here. All right, here we go. Chapter six of Mark. Also similar to what Mark or Matthew and Luke say. Luke chapter six, verse fourteen. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Maybe that's because he'd sent these people out and people were going around talking about Jesus, they're representing Jesus and his message. He's not just got you know, his own ministry, he's now got these ministries that are going around and uh, Herod Antipas sees in his own territory, Galilee, in his own territory, all over Tiberias, or all around Tiberias, it's not just Jesus, where's Jesus? It's like it doesn't matter where Jesus is at, all these disciples are out going around spreading his word. So Antipas hears this. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And, what, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others say he is Elijah. And still others claim he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. So clearly people are trying to explain. They, they don't think, you know, I think this is the Son of God, Emmanuel in the flesh. This is the seed of the woman who's come to mankind. Now the demons know right away who it is. It's, we know who you are. You just be quiet. But the people are like left to try to figure it out. It's like John the Baptist come back from the dead. It's one of the prophets. <clears throat> But when Herod heard this, he has to make a decision. He said, John, the man I beheaded, 
has been raised from the dead. Now that's a man who is haunted. A man, he's already executed John, and now he starts hearing about Jesus and all these miracles. Like, oh my gosh, John's come back from the dead. Now that, now again, that is not him saying, I think, possibly. That is, it's like you've got option A, option B, option C, or fill in the blank. It's like, no, I know what this is. This is John come back to torment me. It's worse than it was when I had him in prison. He's going he's gonna to come back from the dead and lead a, re, a, a rebellion against me. So this is, this is what John and Antipas uh, 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 is thinking. For Herod himself, now it goes through and tells you the story about John. That was, his, that was Antipas's view of Jesus. Now that's the end of that. That's, the, that's what causes us now to talk about John the Baptist. Uh, for Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and he had him bound and put in prison. Now that agrees with um, uh, Josephus. He was arrested because he was afraid of the crowds following him. So instead of just letting him go, I'll just arrest him and put him in prison there. Now he can't start a rebellion. Keep an eye on it. But he doesn't hate John. He likes John. He likes listening to his words because John's a great speaker. I mean, you got to think... You just think about John, you know, the, the hair, the camel skin, eating locusts, dunking people in water. But it's like the guys, I mean, I have a Bible study, and I'm not, I'm not a good speaker. I, I'm not even thinking that. I'm not, I just try to communicate the best I can. But John was out in the wilderness, shouting in the wilderness, and the crowds flocked to the whole nation. Josephus records, I mean, this man was, I mean, obviously, but I'm going to say it, he was like light years beyond my speaking ability. You know, he was light years beyond capturing an audience with thoughts and words, because he's in the wilderness, and, and Herod himself is terrified of him, and he's just talking. But now he's in prison, we are going to see Herod likes listening to him. I mean, if, if someone ever locks me up for some Christian reason or something, I mean, will they come listen to me? It's like, ask me questions, or are they just like, throw the key away, let me just sit there. Herod's got him in prison, but it's like, i got a couple questions for you. And he, and he's, he likes, well, let's just read uh, he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Her Herodias, or Herodias, Her Herodias, his brother Philip's wife from Rome, whom he had married. Now, this is nothing about sending away the daughter of Aretas. For John had been saying to Herod, John the Baptist had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Now, remember, the Herods had become had been accepted Judaism, and they were split. Herod Agrippa especially was very devout, and Herod Agrippa II was devout. They were trying to follow the law. They'd go down for the Passover. So John the Baptist had said, now if they'd met face to face, eventually in prison they did, he said, this is not right. You can't do this. You can't be following God and be a leader of God marrying your brother's wife. It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Now, why does Herodias nurse a grudge against John? Because of this very thing. Antipas is the Tetrarch. He's appointed by Rome. They don't care who he marries. He's the Tetrarch with paperwork. Herodias is simply a woman descended from Aristobulus. Her only power in this world is who she's connected to. And she was connected to Philip the first, but Philip the first is a descendant of Herod, but he's living in Rome, a luxury apartment, just a private citizen, probably on the golf course most of the time. You know, and, and she's like a descendant of Aristobulus, who's a descendant of the Hasmoneans. She's a royal princess with a husband 
who's not royal except through Herod, who's just hanging out with all the elites in Rome, uh, doing going to the gladiator shows or whatever they're doing. And it's like, and, and Antipas shows up with some potential. And now she goes with him. John says, no, this is not right. Antipas could say, yeah, John, you know, and you know, he keeps going and listening, and he may be getting drawn to him. I, I mean, he doesn't say the scripture, but he may be. At least, just like he was suspicious of John getting a rebellion against him, so I'm putting him in prison. Herodias is concerned that her husband keeps going out and listening to John, who John keeps saying, you shouldn't be married to her. If he goes, okay, she should have acted preemptively. Because if he says, I'm sending you back, she's right back just sitting at Starbucks while her husband's golfing with all the elites or whatever. She's nobody. So her power is only with Antipas. So she's holding a grudge. She's got to kill. She's got to eliminate this voice. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. To save, I mean, I'm assuming to save her power. Not because she feels like he's you know, making fun of her. Probably so also. But she was not able to. Why? Because Herod, Antipas, feared John. His words shook him to the bone and protected him. That is in the active tense. Yeah, I've got it written down. It's not in the active tense. But it's in the sense that he's continuing. He's continuing to protect him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard about heard, heard John, he was greatly puzzled. The NIV says right here. I'd like to read it in my notes. Yet he liked to listen to him. Herod, your words are boggling my mind. I'm trying to understand them, but he liked listening. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, now we don't know her name, but her name is uh, Salome. Let me see, make sure I say it right. I check the pronouncement. Salome. Salome. Josephus records her name. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet, uh, in another context, for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Now again, I'll come back next week and go through this. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod, Antipas, and his dinner guests. Now they found two large banquet places that would be big enough for these guests, and then a smaller one, I'm sorry, but a smaller one off the side where the woman, women would have sat. So there's a big banquet hall, two places, and then another place. And you can see that's when she came out to dance, she went back to talk to her mother. And so they, they found this location at, at Maracas, uh, uh, Harris. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. Again, the dance would be very, I would say, uh, not like ballroom dancing. It would probably be something like you'd shut off on at, during Super Bowl halftime dancing. Uh, the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, and the guests are all listening, whatever, because she just got done dancing for him, so all the lights you know, come back on, and the microphone's there, and he's talking to her. And whatever you ask, I'll give you up to half my kingdom. Now, he's either flattering himself, using a figure of speech or whatever, because he cannot, the Tetrarch appointed by Rome, cannot give away a half of his kingdom. He'd be giving away an eighth of the, of the kingdom, because he's got a fourth, and he, it's given to him. He has no authority to give it away. He's not even called king. Uh, she went out, see, she went out into probably the other room, the small room where the women were that they have excavated, and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she, she answered, at once 
the girl hurried into the king with the request. Again, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. I've got to go to the notes here for this because the English, the NIV is, is fine, but the English standard is following it more literally. Um, yeah, look at verse 20, page 8 of the notes, verse 25. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And you can see right there in the Greek, it doesn't say it just like that. I'm reading the bottom line of the Greek. At once you give to me upon a platter the head of John the Baptist. So I've got point A under point 1. It would sound like this. I desire that at once you give to me upon a platter and then anything could have gone in that blank. So I desire that at once, I want it now, I don't want you to wait and be able to negotiate your way out of this, give to me and I want it on a platter the head of John the Baptist. And he would have been right there with her always said, the head of John the Baptist. It's like, I'm going to continue now reading here in the, in the, on the notes in the English Standard. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oath, he doesn't want to do it. Just like Pilate, let's get a, a correlation, a parallel. He doesn't want to do it, but because of the peer pressure, but because of his oath and his guest, he did not want to break his word to her. Did not want to break his word to a little girl. In fact, the word girl, we haven't looked at it here tonight, is the same word Jesus uses of Jairus' daughter in like chapter 5, verse 41. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Now that doesn't mean this, it can mean a little girl, a child, it can mean a, a teenage girl, a maiden. But anyway, that's all in the notes. We can look at that here uh, next week. And she came immediately with the haste, okay, uh, didn't want to break his word. That's verse 26. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison. And that would be part of one of his bodyguards. And brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And Herodias' position is secure as now Antipas. And as the rest of this chapter goes right, the, not the chapter, but the information, I'll have to pick it up next week. She began now to pressure Antipas to get the, ask Rome to let him be called king because Agrippa is going to be called king. Her brother is going to get the title king while Antipas is still alive. After Jesus is dead, John is dead, Antipas and Herodias are still living in Tiberias and her brother gets the title king to, re, to absorb some of the territory. She says, go ask uh, uh, Tiberius if, if you can have the name king. It was right at the same time that Tiberius is sending the Syrian general down to help against Eretus. But when he sends, the, the general doesn't want to come down and help Antipas. So he has all kinds of excuses and delays. He even stops at Passover for a while. And during that whole time, Tiberius dies, and Caligula becomes emperor and, and replaces Caligula. And then Agrippa, his friends, grew up in Rome with Caligula and anticipates his sister's move goes to Agrippa I, goes to Caligula and says, hey, he's stockpiling weapons to use against Rome. He's treacherous. He's betraying you. And so by the time, he, and then he shows up and asks to be king. I want to be called king because Herodias wants her husband with the same title king so she can be the queen or whatever because that's her only, only source of power. Agrippa exposes him and Antipas and Herodias are sent, and again, i got it written down here, uh, Caligula banished Antipas to Gaul, I was right, Gaul, and Herodias was sent with him. 
Herodias' brother Agrippa I, then added Agrippa, someone's got to rule the Tetrarch area of Galilee. Agrippa I picked up the land of Galilee in his kingship uh, in, in Galilee at this point, and at this point, Antipas fades from history in exile with Herodias. That's again a rush, we got to quit, it's overtime. And I'll kind of clean it up next week. Some of a few other things. You read the notes. I appreciate you listening. I hope it made sense. I know we didn't spend a lot of time in the Bible, but for me, this background breathes life in the Bible, if I can say that without being blasphemous. It gives us a historical setting, not just some little Sunday school account of John getting his head cut off. Uh, Antipas has a history. He's got interaction with Jesus, interaction with John the Baptist, and a history afterwards. And Herodias, who caused this whole thing, she ends up being worse off in exile with Antipas than if she would have just stayed um, picked up golf and worked golf with Philip I there in, in, in Rome. Again, I paraphrase. I'll pray and we're free to go. <laughs> Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask again that we would find value in this, that we would honor your word, that we would allow your spirit to lead and guide us, that we would not be manipulated or forced into decisions by the world, but would walk in a way that is pleasing to you, that we would stand up for what is right and live a life that is righteous and true. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your patience, and I thank you for your time. Thank you.